We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Filato. After a little break from the Draft Profile series, we are jumping back in with another profile on a player who I would say, out of all the profiles we've done, with the exception of the big names who might be there for the Giants at 11, the Kyle Pitts, who I freaking love, and you guys know that, this is probably the prospect I'm most excited for. This is becoming the prospect that I have now probably number one on my wish list for 42 overall assuming a player of his position is not a big name player of his position is not added in free agency cough cough kenny galladay or at 11 overall cough cough who knows Jalen waddle any of those guys but if they do decide to go the route of upgrading other positions and waiting at receiver which ultimately i'm probably one of the few the proud the many but i believe that's a fine route to go i really do this is going to be a player high on my list so without further ado we are talking about terrace marshall LSU wide receiver. Nick, start us off. Give us the things you like about Marshall after watching his tape. I don't know if anybody's going to pick up on this, Dan, but you trying to make a Marine reference there with the few, the proud, the many. You know that's not accurate, right? It's the few, the proud, the Marines. I was in the flow of it. I was looking at you, Nick. I know you're a former Marine, and I thought, I know now, after saying it, I kind of caught myself, and I was about to be like, let's cut that out. Let's edit that out. Maybe now we should keep it. No, it's obvious. The few, first of all, the few, the proud, the many makes no sense. If you're going to start by saying the few for anything, you're not going to then go into the many. But yes, the few, the proud, comma, pause, the Marines. So I've considered myself one of the few and proud people of Giants Nation who doesn't believe that wide receiver is a slam it, jam, jam it, slam it down your throats type free agent or pick overall at 11, but now I'm just <laughs> devastated because I made another poor reference. It's I've, I have a lot of trouble when it comes to kind of anything involving or related to 
the military. And even back when I met Nick, I used to make the mistake of asking him about his time in the military and referring to it for some odd reason, continually referring it to as an army. And I'll tell you what, if you meet a Marine and you become <laughs> friends with a Marine, there's nothing more offensive you can do than refer to them as part of the army because they are not part of the army. Let me make that clear. And they do not want to be part of the army. There's their own branch. You can call them the military if you want, or just the Marines, but they're the few, the proud, not the many. Not the many, the Marines. (laughs) Nice, Dan. All right, let's talk about Terrace Marshall. So not a lot of people are talking about Marshall. He was the third wheel behind Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase during LSU's 2019 championship run. He also got injured in that season with a foot injury. But, I mean, this guy, he has intriguing size-speed combination. And, I mean, he might be available, like we've talked about, for the Giants in the second round. Now, he's a bit thin. He's not like, you know, Benjamin Victor, but he is kind of thin-framed. And he just cracks 200 at six foot three. I would say in some change, at least that's what it looks like on tape. We'll wait for his pro day measurables. But man, I really like what he can do from an athletic standpoint for his size. I mean, he's shown explosive ability in and out of breaks on 90 degree cuts. Although I'd like that to be a bit more consistent for every route. He can bend, which I really like, uses his hands well at the line of scrimmage to defeat press with quick feet that typically put him into a good position to stack quickly on top of corners, giving him that advantageous split-second win right off the line of scrimmage, which is something you want to see, something that bigger bigger wide receivers typically struggle with, but he doesn't seem like he struggles with that. He has that long catch radius. Has very good spatial awareness when attacking defenders' leverage or finding voids in zone coverage. I mean, Burrow, as you know, he loved to extend plays and keep his eyes downfield. And Marshall was really good at uncovering and giving Burrow a big target to find in those situations. Caught a couple touchdowns like that. So he shows a lot of good football intelligence in that area. Now, he has success using his body up the field. Like, does well in contested catch situations and can climb the ladder to high point balls away from his frame and secure them quickly. And I believe PFF checks that out, but you also saw that on tape. He has a pretty good PFF contested catch win rate. And he's also, the thing that I really like about him and something you don't see from bigger wide receivers is he's pretty damn elusive with the football in his hands for a guy of his build. He has wiggle. He can make defenders miss with a shimmy here, a shimmy there. He's also versatile. He played a ton on the... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Foundry early on at his time at LSU until Justin Jefferson left for Minnesota, and then he played predominantly in the slot. I believe 2020, according to PFF, 82% of his snaps were in the slot. But I feel like he could fit as an X receiver on the line of scrimmage, that type of role in Jason Garrett offense. Yeah, let's dive into some of the stats, some of the advanced stats and the overall stats with Terrace Marshall, some of the things that 
stand out to me, and then I'll kind of dive into why I'm excited about him, so I guess my version of the strengths, and then after that, we'll dive into some of the weaknesses, because obviously he's not a perfect prospect, otherwise there wouldn't be any chance of him being available at number 42 overall. But actually, before we do any of that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, here's some stats that really stood out to me when it comes to Terrace Marshall. Since 2019, he has the third most red zone touchdowns with 15. And that checks out. When you watch the film, he is a real big time red zone threat. When it comes for whether it comes to his ability to high point the ball, whether it comes to some of the traits that Nick talked about just from an athleticism standpoint, and his ability to beat press coverage with his hands off the line of scrimmage, he has a lot of different ways to become a immediate red zone threat for the Giants. In my mind, if you put a guy like Marshall on this team, he might ultimately start off right away as their single best red zone guy. Who would you say else that could be? Slayton? No. Shepard? No. Ingram? Hell no. So for me, he would immediately be their immediate number one red zone there. I like that. He also had the fourth most receiving touchdowns in 2020 from the slot. He had eight touchdowns in the, from the slot in 2020. I think that gives an offensive coordinator more flexibility to kind of move him around, specifically in the red zone, and put him in the slot where he's going to get a better matchup and it's going to be easier for him to create big plays. Some more stats that really stood out to me. In 2020, among 145 receivers with 50 or more targets, Marshall ranked 21st in the entire college football in yards per out 2.91. Why does that stand out to me? Well, simple. 
he was mostly in the slot, as Nick said, in 2020. So the fact that you can create such a high yards per route run while in the slot really stands out to me because it's not as easy to create a, a higher yards per route run in the slot than it is on the outside for obvious reasons. Now, another thing that stands out to me about Terrace Marshall is the fact that he secured 52% of his deep targets for 477 yards, seven touchdowns, and a 137 0.0 passer rating uh, from the quarterback. Now, this train in the background is starting to really piss me off, but I'm going to try to just ignore it when I say that on 25 targets, he was able to do that. That's a, those are really good numbers on deep targets. And I think, again, this checks out on his film, like Nick said, at 6'3", 200, with just really, really, really good athleticism. We're not talking like, this is one of the most athletic prospects I've seen so far scouting this wide receiver position. He can get open. He can get deep. And he does a really good job, in my mind, of tracking the ball and high-pointing the ball. He is going to immediately be a deep threat for whichever team drafts him. Now, here are the big numbers that stood out to me. And these ones are actually courtesy of friend of the show, Derek Brown of FTFN. Derek showed in his article's breakdown of Terrence Marshall that I highly suggest you checking out on FTFN that Marshall finished with a 46.5% college dominator rating. That was the 92nd percentile and a 19.2 breakout age, which was in the 86th percentile. This is especially impressive to me, the latter, the breakout age. And now, you can choose to believe in things like college dominator rating and breakout uh, age. These are advanced stats that I think were actually originated by player profile over there, um, if I'm not mistaken. These are kind of more advanced fantasy-based stats, but I personally believe in them. There's a lot of good evidence to suggest that these are good stats to keep in mind. And I think it's extremely impressive when you consider the fact that the breakout age specifically, 19.2, 86th percentile, he did that while playing with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. So that's a big thing to me because you're playing with two players, one, Justin Jefferson, who's already on track to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. I think that's pretty obvious based on what he did in his rookie season. And then Jamar Chase, who me and Nick have literally no reservations about. I mean, it's just you watch him and he's just brilliant out there so those stats certainly stood out to me I can get into a little bit more of why I like Marshall so much I like Marshall a lot because I think that he provides by far and away the most upside for the Giants he fits exactly what they need a sizable X receiver he fits what they need from the standpoint of what Jones needs which is a receiver who can high point the ball a receiver with good body control in the air a receiver who can immediately be a big red zone threat remember one of the biggest issues for this Giants crappy offense in 2019 I'm sorry in 2020 was the fact that they couldn't convert red zone trips into passing touchdowns and that ultimately held them back in a great way I think he can help immediately with that so when you look at the fit for Jones, the fit in the red zone, the fact that, like Nick said, there still is a potential for him to fill out his frame. He's six foot three, 200. If he gets 10, 15, 20 more pounds, that's when he starts to look like Julio Jones out there. And it really is rare to see a receiver this long and tall who can move in space like he can. That's the other thing with him. I mean, he's really elusive after the catch. You wouldn't expect it for somebody who's this long, but he is. And the upside with him, it's really, he checks off every box but a couple that we're going to get to. But those boxes that he doesn't check off for me are real are boxes that I put so, so, so far down the list for what I'm looking for for wide receiver. So for me, and I tweeted about this a little earlier, he's probably my ideal target at 42 overall right now. If they go ahead and draft someone like Rashawn Slater in round one, or if they go ahead and address offensive line and free agency and then draft a defensive player in round one. Otherwise, obviously, I'm still going to have my reservations about going no offensive line in free agency and no offensive line with either of the first two picks and just praying to God that Shane Lemieux, Will Hernandez, and Matt Parrott can hold up as three or five starters. But other than that, he'll be super high on my list, likely the number one target 
for me. And I, before we go into weaknesses, Nick, I do want to share a quote from Ed Ogeron that stood out to me. Ed Ogeron said, Tyrus played more in the slot. A big rec- He's a big receiver that can beat nickel, nickel corners consistently one-on-one, and he has excellent hands. His family is from the Joe Delaney family, who I played with at Northwestern State University. Tremendous dreams and tremendous character. So this is someone who I think will fit. As you guys know, I'm obviously a big fan of bloodline, NFL bloodline players. I'm always going to believe in that and also i think the character line shows that he could fit with joe judge and what they want to build here and so all of these things together the hands catching ability the the high pointing ability body control in the air explosiveness it's just it seems like a lot of traits that make a lot of sense for a value pick when it comes to the giants at 42 overall yeah no i think you make a very compelling case i'm going to dive into some of the weaknesses yeah for sure here not to throw cold water on anything you're saying and what because... were you just laughing at over there did i did i misstep no i don't believe you I said corpse or anything like i saw that. a little smirk on your face i thought i might have made another mistake here i've already i've already had I, one mistake is too many the few the proud the many was really disastrous <laughs> enough can't afford anything <laughs> else is, on this kind of podcast. No. anything else will be edited out just for those of you listening <laughs> if i do make another mistake it will be edited out and i will replace it with nick with a line i recorded on my phone when he wasn't aware of it of Nick saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure Recovery is well known as Eminem's <laughs> best album ever. I don't think that take is, uh, given the fact that I don't know Eminem that well, is as egregious as it's being made out to be. But back to Marshall. So the explosiveness in and out of breaks, like I feel like you could see it on a lot of those in-breaking routes, but it's not always consistent. And that's especially true on comebacks and curls because I, I feel like yeah. he just struggles to decelerate sometimes. He chops his feet a bit too much to slow down. Took a bit too long to kind of sink his hips and get his body turned around. That could be an athletic issue. It could be the fact that something that I'm about to go into could also maybe hinder that, but I'm a little bit probably, it's probably not as much so, but let me get into that, I guess. Okay. I also don't like what I'm referring to is the stance before the snap off the line of scrimmage. It's just way too damn high. It's not an explosive stance. And when the snap happens, he kind of resyncs himself and then explodes. And that little amount of time it takes to resync himself, it just slows him down just enough. And he actually is incredibly good at the line of scrimmage. So if he just sunk his center of gravity, I think he could have so much more success, even more success than he already does have at the line of scrimmage. You could see him on the film. He's just kind of standing straight up. And then when the snap happens, you see him drop. But why don't you just start from that drop position and then you can already explode out? Those are just little coaching things that I feel like can be cleared up. So that's not necessarily a referendum on his skill set, but it's something that I did notice on the film. And also there was times, man, where Marshall seemed a little bit disinterested in 2020. He had way too many concentration types of drops. His blocking was a bit hot and cold. I don't think he's a terrible blocker. He can do it, but it was just something that consistency wasn't exactly there. And another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up that throws a little cold water on what you said about the character, and I don't want to question the kid's character. I I know nothing about him, but I think it's somewhat of a red flag when you opt out right before the Alabama game. And then Alabama goes and just absolutely destroys LSU. And LSU, as we know, was down in the gutter this year. They were just not good, especially coming off of a 2019 season when basically everybody went off to the NFL or opted out in Jamar Chase's, in the case of Jamar Chase. So that's something that is going to have to be sussed out. I, I don't, I'm not going to say it's a um, 
huge issue or anything like that, but it's a red flag that you want to address and see exactly what was going on. Was he dealing with an injury? What was it? Why did he opt out of that? Was he just not competitively tough? All those questions should be asked, but again, we can't draw the conclusions from the information that we have in front of us, and also the injuries. He had lost, I think, a senior year of high school to an ankle injury, and then he fractured his foot in 2019, which led to our guy Derek Dillon getting on the field a little bit there during that championship season. So those are just some things, I guess, some concerns, I guess you can rise about Terrace Marshall. Maybe it's the reason why he's being talked about in the second round and not a consensus first overall pick or first round pick, I should say. I think you're spot on. I think that these are the reasons why. And I want to unpack some of those weaknesses and kind of break them down with you and see where you stand after I play a little devil's advocate on some of them. I'll start with the opt-out just before the Alabama game. I think for a little devil's advocate on that, I would say that if LSU's season wasn't so down in the dumps, he wouldn't have opted out. LSU was dead at that point. Yes, it's a big game on the schedule before the season against Alabama, but when you were in the position they were in, that game wasn't really much of a big schedule. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't really as big of a game as it was supposed to be, and obviously LSU got destroyed. I don't think if Marshall was on the field, it would have been much different in that game, and I'm not. that's not to say that he made the right decision there. I think personally, these athletes who are opting out I think they made a fine decision personally. I don't think he had much left to prove. Just my opinion on the situation. Now, let's unpack some of the other things. I want to start with the ones that concern me the most and work back toward the ones that concern me the least. So let's start with the one that concerns me the most. It would be the injury situation. Now, like you said, he missed his entire senior season at Parkway High School. But let's, before we say that, at least preface this, because I don't think we got to this on the strengths, by saying he was literally the number one receiver recruit coming out, correct? I believe so, yes. Yeah, he was the number one receiver in his class. He got big-time offers from every school. He, I love those kind of players, first of all. Full-time, you know, no doubt five-star prospect. Actually, according to uh, 24-7 Sports, I believe it was, he was the 287th all-time ranked recruit that they've ever had. That's how high he highly rated he was coming out of high school. And to me, and I know Dave Gettleman likes these kind of players. I know he's mentioned things of this in the past. I'll have to dig it back up. But I remember reading a line on something like this. And obviously you saw it with Darnay Holmes last year, a guy they got in the fourth round who was the number one corner coming out of his high school class. So I think that's important. But he did miss his entire senior season at Parkway High School with an ankle injury. And then, like you said, he had the fractured foot. But I think ultimately, with just those two injuries, it's not that they're fluky, and I do care more about lower body injuries. Obviously, you'd love to see like a broken clavicle or something that you just, or wrist injury, something that like you know is going to heal and not bother you again. But as far as these go, he looked fine when he was, he looked pretty healthy in 2020. I don't think the issues were there. And this is not enough of an injury profile me to get completely concerned, but I'm curious if this is something that would, because we know, like you said, this might be one of the key reasons why this plus the opt-out might be one of the key reasons why he doesn't hear his name on day one. Now, is that something that would give you as much pause and concern if you were in the position to draft these players? I also think another reason is just who he's being drafted alongside. I yeah. mean, he's, his name is being associated with the Rondell Moores, the Kadarius Tonys, and the right. Rashad Batemans in that area of the draft, not to mention you have Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase being selected ahead of him along with Kyle Pitts. So it's just a really saturated market in terms of pass catcher that's another reason why he's falling to the second round just to be fair but exa- what was exactly was your question about the if injury? you is this an injury profile that gives you enough pause when it comes to this play I, I wouldn't say so but again I'm, I'm not a doctor it's not like a torn Achilles he's coming off of or he's coming off of a devastating injury sure. it, it's not like that so no I, I wouldn't say but again I, I don't have a PhD and so the next concern then would be just breaking back breaking it down and working back would be like you said he's not excellent at 
his breaks on the comebacks and the curls. This is a big part of Jason Garrett's offense. It's not an offense that likes to break routes too much toward the sideline or up the field. He mixes them in, but there are a lot of comebacks and routes that break back toward the line of scrimmage and toward the quarterback. Do you think that this is something that he can improve right away? Do you think that this might just be a limitation based on his body type, his frame, things of that nature? Where do you see that, and how ultimately how important do you think that is to his overall profile? On these specific routes, I mean, I do think it's just the fact that he is a bigger receiver. He builds up speed pretty quickly, and to slow down, it just takes a little bit. And sinking his hips, I mean, that that's an athletic thing. I, I find him to be flexible. There were times where I would be watching his film and he would inside release and he would dip that outside shoulder really well around the cornerback's jam attempt and kind of stack on top of him very quickly. And those are things I think feel like he does exceptionally well. But on those vertical breaking routes where you got to come back and, you know, back towards the quarterback, it, it does seem like it does just take a little bit longer than it does for some of the other receivers that we have watched. Okay, I think that's a fair assessment. Now, I said earlier that I'm going to work this in order of what concerns me most to what concerns me least. I didn't follow that order because what concerns me most is what I'm going to get to last now. I'll get to what concerns me least, though, next. What concerns me least would be that you mentioned he can do a lot better job of eliminating wasted time at the line of scrimmage by just improving his stance at the line of scrimmage. To me, when you say something like that, Nick, and you can tell me if this is way off base, but when you say something like that and I hear that, what I think is that can easily and will immediately be be fixed by NFL coaching yeah absolutely and I mean college coaching they understand this kind of stuff too but I guess Marshall was just comfortable with the way he was doing it but these are just little things in the division three level that we teach our kids just sink a little bit get in a comfortable explosive stance so when the ball is snapped you don't have to resync yourself because you're wasting milliseconds doing that and then the NFL level those milliseconds make all the difference absolutely Okay, now the thing that might concern me the most, it's not, it didn't, con- so I'll say, I'll frame this a little differently. I wasn't personally concerned by it when I watched him, but I want to see if, and because of the conclusion I ultimately came to when it comes to Marshall, but I want to see if you view this differently. So we talked about the drop passes. In 2020, he had seven drop passes on 55 catchable balls. That, by the numbers, is not great. To me, though, when I watch Marshall, I think he can get a lot better than that at the NFL level. I think this is a small sample size that I'm not going to make a conclusion off of because I do think he is pretty much a, a very natural hands catcher. Now, there's a difference. When I get concerned about drops or a stat like that, drops as general is not a stat that concerns me unless unless you're a body catcher. If you're a body catcher or you're someone like Evan Ingram who's not a natural hands catcher, then that concerns me because it could ruin your entire... I mean, it could preclude you from being anything in the NFL. If you are not a natural hands catcher, in my mind, it's one of the worst traits to have as a receiving prospect. So do you think the drops were more what you mentioned a little bit, the concentration issues that maybe can be fixed as he gets to the next level and this becomes his job and this becomes his livelihood? Or are they more just the product of he's not a natural hands catcher? I think it's more the former, to be honest. Okay, but good. I am but I am curious to see how big this dude's hands are, too. Yeah. Like, I would love to see, you know, big 10-inch hands, you know, good mittens and they're just concentration type of drops. Obviously, you can't really come to that conclusion by watching the tape. So I would like to know his hand measurements. But I didn't uh, – there are prospects that I've watched that you could just tell, like, oh, this guy is a straight body catcher. I think Marshall does have elements of body catching to him, but I have seen him jump extend away from his yes. frame and pluck away from his frame, bring it into his body. And they were really, really impressive in some contested catch situations. So I'm not going to say that he's not a natural hands catcher. The one-handed catch he made, I think, with mm. his left hand in the end zone in the back corner, back left corner of the end zone, I'm forgetting which game it was now. 
it was super impressive and less so just from the natural hands catching standpoint but even more so just from body control standpoint yeah i do think he has that trade he can obviously high point the balls too and he's strong at the between at the catch point but his natural body control in the air is really really impressive and like you said i think if you're looking for what might be the most impressive thing in my mind from a trait standpoint with marshall it's simply his ability after the catch for a player of his size and when you just look at that alone i think that provides more upside than almost any receiver in this class besides the big three yeah and i think he does well on those like skinny posts whenever he was asked to do it and that's something that comes in handy because you catch that skinny post and say you win at the line of scrimmage something that he can do he can use his feet to win at the line of scrimmage give himself better leverage inside make that catch and now you can make the safety coming downhill miss and with his long speed he can take a slant to the house. Now, I'm not saying that he's Odell Beckham Jr. in that kind of uh, with with those types of plays, but that is an awesome trait to have for someone with his size and catch radius. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to some brass tacks questions here. How do you see? Or let's let's start here, actually, Nick. Do you see enough in watching Terrace Marshall, wide receiver, LSU? That would make you comfortable betting on a prospect like this with a with a really high draft capital pick like forty two overall. I, yeah, I think if the Giants went in that direction, all the medicals checked out, the character, all the stuff that that are, is just unknown to me. If they were to go with someone like Marshall, I think that's a player that the Giants really need right now—a big body, end zone, red zone type of threat, smart player who knows how to uncover against zone, and a player who can win at the line of scrimmage. Now. I think he's a very good athlete for his size. He's not the best athlete out there among a lot of these other wide receivers, but he's still a very good athlete for his size. So if the Giants were to go, say, Rashawn Slater at 11 and then land Terrace Marshall in the second round, I think that's a home run. Yeah, I mean, that to me right now is probably my ideal path as long, so long as they don't do something like sign Kenny Galladay, then my path changes. And ultimately, it's going to be tough for me to not want Parsons at that pick at 11 if he's there, and I think he will be there. I freaking love Parsons, but we'll see. I mean, I could definitely yeah, at this point. I'm they've done what they've done to us here. Unfortunately, with this offensive line, they've kind of forced my hand as to what I want. I don't want to always have to go offensive line, but I don't. I think the whole season could be ruined potentially if it's Lemieux, Hernandez, and Parrot starting, and, week they, one. and they don't develop. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, there's always the upside. If the the, the ceiling with going to the season with just Lemieux, Parrot, and Thomas, or I'm sorry, Lemieux, Parrot, and um. Hernandez. And Hernandez as three of your five starters, the ceiling there is for sure. I mean, the ceiling is you get to upgrade all your other needs and you still have a pretty good line somehow by coaching and development. And obviously that require, requires consistent more development from Andrew Thomas and even no step back from Gates. There's a lot of if ands, and buts there. But the downside to that to me is literally your season's ruined because if those guys aren't performing well, you have no chance of creating any offense without an offensive line. And I really hope the Giants don't get you know, coaching hubris where they're like, you know, we brought in Rob Sale. We brought back Pat Flaherty. (laughs) We have Freddie Kitchens. We have all these guys who can help with the offensive line. We can develop Shane Lemieux, Matt Parrott, and Will Hernandez, and we can win with that trio. And then they actually feel that way. They don't invest any assets into the offensive line. You go into the situation, you're like, oh, this doesn't work. You know, right. and that that's something that I have. A, I'm a little scared. Of. I think Joe Judge is too smart for that, to be honest. But you know, this is a very um, this is a very confident business. People are very confident in oh, themselves. Yeah. So it's it's definitely something that you know, in a couple months, I could see us after the draft being like, wow, we didn't we didn't really invest in the offensive line, and and then we would point to this conversation and be like, I guess we kind of hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like they're kind of backed in, they backed themselves into a corner here with the offensive line, obviously, because 
there you know there's no amazing offensive lineman to hit the market that I think they should sign I don't think there's any like big time guard worth going nuts on there's no Jack Conklin in this market now that Moten's been tagged and and the Panthers will likely resign him so yeah it's interesting what I think is it has worked in the past and it can work but I think it was more likely to work before the new CBA changes. When you used to have these tough practices day in and day out, these two-a-day, three-a-days. Remember when OC joined the pod, he would talk about how different practices were under Coughlin and how different they were able to be. When you used to have the ability to really grind these guys down day after day after day, week after week, I think it was more likely that you could kind of come to a line that has Richie Soybert and... Sean O'Hara and David Deal, guys who were drafted in the fifth round for Deal. I don't remember Soybert. He was intentionally a late rounder. I don't fully remember where he was drafted. I know Sean was was an undrafted guy or either a very late round, seventh round pick at Rutgers. And obviously McKenzie was their big ticket signing there. And I'm I'm blanking on who the last lineman in that in that line was for some reason. What are you um, talking about, 2007? Just the 07, 08, when they really had their only really good offensive Chris line Snee. in my lifetime. Snee. And then second Snee was a second-round pick. Yeah, second pick. So they did invest two major capital, the second-rounder, McKenzie, but they did grind out a lot of those spots with O'Hara, Richie, and Deal. But back then, it was a little different. And I know Gettleman's a back-then GM. Things were different, though, and you had more time to work with these players, and you could grind them down in camp and really teach things and focus on the fundamentals. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. Yeah, but uh, one thing I will say, and I don't know if this was as prevalent back then. I'm, sh- I'm sure it was. I'm yeah. just you're naive to it. Is a lot of these offensive linemen that take their craft very seriously, like go to find people like Duke Mannyweather right. and these offensive line gurus, and they really get really good teaching and development through guys who really know what they're doing. Good so point. hopefully yeah. some of these younger Giants players are doing that. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point as well. All right, how do you think Jalen? I'm sorry, Terrence, Terrence Marshall would fit into – Jason Garrett system. I think he would be versatile. I mean, he could fill that X role that we always talk about where he can win at the line of scrimmage and defeat press jam situations. But I also think, you know, mismatches, okay, they got a five foot nine nickel corner. Right. Let's put him in the slot. And he showed in twenty twenty that he can do that to some extent. So that's I, I really like kind of the multiplicity of what he could offer the offense because he's so big and he is also very athletic. Totally. I'm totally on board with that and I completely agree with you. Now how do you think that Terrence Marshall, wide receiver at LSU, I like to always, one, one, one advice I got from somebody who runs a very successful podcast is when you're breaking down draft prospects or when you're breaking down free agents or anything really like that, always keep bringing up the name, the school, things like that, just because you never know when people jump in. You never know when they're going to jump in and out of conversation. So Terrence Marshall, wide receiver, LSU. So my question for you would be this. How does he fit, and we talk about this all the time, the Giants' current personnel grouping at wide receiver? Because we're looking for a specific type, in my opinion, considering who's on the roster right now. Hey, Dan, that sounds like a very smart and handsome guy. Uh, was that you who <laughs> told me that, Nick? Yeah, handsome might be a stretch, but yes. And so so might smart if we're going to be real. But yeah, no, that was me that gave you that advice. Oh, man, my bad. <laughs> I knew somebody told me. I couldn't remember exactly who. Yeah, but uh, I do believe Terrace Marshall comes in here. I mean, we're looking for big body wide receiver. Kenny Galladay is the talk of the town right now. Can the Giants land someone like Kenny G? And he fits a similar type of profile. He's a little bit smaller than Kenny G, but just a player who can kind of climb that proverbial ladder and make catches way above smaller cornerbacks and even bigger cornerbacks because he has the leaping ability, the lower body explosiveness to jump and kind of control his body and adjust to football as well. So uh, I think he would mesh perfectly. And it's exactly this type of receiver is who I feel like Daniel Jones uh, needs and that's stuff that we've talked about on the podcast. I mean, he turned yes. Darius Slayton, who's a much smaller receiver than Marshall, into a type of contested catch one on one receiver back in 2019. 
So I think Marshall would just be excellent with Daniel Jones. I completely agree with you. I think the Daniel Jones fit is one of the parts that I'm most excited for. You look at what are we guarantee that we're going to get from this offense in 2021. After seeing what we saw on tape in 2020, I'm not positive we're going to get guarantee. I can guarantee we're going to get all these awesome plays in space where a receiver has five yards to break after the catch. We had almost no yak potential in 2020. But what I do know is we're going to get a ton of these one-on-one contested catch situations based on how the defense plays the Giants and based on the Giants system. And what I do know is, like you said, Daniel Jones throws a pretty good contested catch ball it's not a perfect but it's pretty solid and gives the receiver a chance to make a play and Terrace Marshall caught 25 of 41 contested catches in the last two years according to pro football folks which is a very strong number and that's something that you can bank on as well so ultimately like Nick said there's a really good fit for him in the system he's a good mix and match with the current personnel he's a good fit for Daniel Jones if the Giants are smart and by the Giants I mean Jason Garrett you mix him in you start moving him into the slot when you can get him a mismatch against a smaller corner in the nickel or you can get a mismatch against a linebacker in a safety because he will ultimately be immediately the Giants biggest mismatch it's not Evan Ingram it should be Evan Ingram it damn well should be Evan Ingram based on his size, speed, and weight, but it's not. Evan Ingram, it's not all about size, speed, and weight. This guy's actually really good at football. Evan Ingram is ultimately just not that great at being a mismatch, it, it feels like. Um, so I'm really excited about Marshall. He's a player who I really like. I got a question for you, though, sure. Dan, and it's something that I've seen floated around, and I think it's a fair critique of Marshall, and it's just he was never really – he never thrived as the guy at LSU because he played with the skills of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, and then in 2020 he ended up opting out towards the end of the year, but the, the offense was just a mess. Does that give you any any pause or trepidation? So I'll say this, Nick, and it's funny you say that because I know – the, the biggest knocks I've seen him are, one, he's never been the guy, two, the concentration issues, three, kind of looked like he was mailing it in at times of 2020, and I think that's ultimately part of because LSU was just so freaking bad, and it was so devastating. Imagine being on that LSU team. You just won a national championship. You come in with your same unbelievable, rec- and then your team is just terrible. It must have sucked, but what I will say to that first criticism, the one we touched on, is that I don't know how true it is. I'm going to give another nod to Derek Brown of FTFN, and he put out that before opting out, after seven games Marshall was that alpha he said he showed a stat line of Marshall versus uh Kayshawn Butte who's the other receiver Marshall had 67 targets versus Butte's 34 his target share was 25.3 percent 48 receptions 731 receiving yards 15.2 yards per catch and this is something we didn't even touch on yet on this podcast the fact that his yards per catch is ridiculously as high as it is for a player of his size and his length and his body type by the way 10 receiving touchdowns stands out to me because you rarely said it's like a Julio Jones you just don't see that AJ Brown Julio Jones like the only guys kind of like that and so you know to me I am less concerned with that he wasn't the alpha he wasn't the dude because he never really had the chance to be in 2019 for starters with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and I feel like he kind of was in 2020 but the small sample size kind of kills that that type of you know narrative because of him opting out yeah and he had four double digit target games and he had what four double digit touchdown games so he, he he gets Sick. on these he gets on these rules and these are all against SEC. it's not like they're beating up no these, these crappy the teams because they're playing the sec two touchdowns against mississippi state two against vanderbilt two against south carolina and then he had the massive 11 catch 235 yard three touchdown game against missouri which really kind of bumps the stats up but I, i'm not scared of, of that either but i still think it's a, a criticism that gets thrown out there that i've seen that i feel like has to be judged 
researched and and at least analyzed. I completely agree with you. It's something to at least touch on, but to me, not much as much of a concern as some of the other things you broke down. All right, Nick, let's close it out on this. We've done Marshall. We've done Elijah Moore, the the five foot nine wide receiver at Ole Miss, and we've done Nico Collins, six four receiver out of Michigan. Giants are up. They're on the board. You're Dave Gettleman. We get you instead of Gettleman run this franchise. Don't have to dive into all the things you would have done differently in the last three years. You're here. Somehow you've arrived to this point. You drafted Barkley at two. We know you would have never done that, but something happened on that night, and something came over you, and you had that pick, and you made that pick. So the roster is what it is. 42. Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, and Nico Collins are all on the board. You got your old lineman in round one. You did something else with the defensive free agency. You're going one of these three receivers. Rank them in order of who you would take. For the Giants. Yes, you're a Giants GM. I'd probably, I'd probably go with Marshall, Moore, and then Nico Collins. Uh, I, I, the thing about Moore is I, I think he's going to be a very, very good football player, but I think he might be relegated to the slot, like we said. So I think that doesn't mesh totally well with 28-year-old Sterling Shepard still under contract for the next few seasons. So I would end up going with Terrace Marshall. And I think, again, he can play the slot when he has to. He's going to be an excellent red zone threat. I think he'll mesh very well with Daniel Jones because he has that vertical skill set and he's athletic despite the fact that he's almost six foot four. I think he can offer a lot to the Giants offense. So Marshall would be the guy that I put above Elijah Moore, a player that I also like. And Nico Collins, I think he's just a couple steps behind these, these two. Yeah, we have exactly the same rankings on this one. I would say that while mine is Marshall Moore, Collins, I would say Marshall and Moore, and like you said, in, in a different tier, and then I'd have Collins. And if it, even if it were the situation where this wasn't the Giants and you were some team that needed both a slot and the outside guy, I'd still bank on Marshall, and that's closer for me because I think Moore has a much higher floor than Marshall does, but I think Marshall has the higher ceiling, and I'm always going to be a ceiling drafter, just what I am. It's how I like to evaluate these classes. I'm looking to get the best possible scenarios. Not always. I mean, like, some people say, then what about Eric Flowers? Well, I didn't really see that high of a ceiling for Eric Flowers. I, I don't, if, you, if your ceiling, quote-unquote, is just because of your size and weight and, and the combine stuff, then that's not really a ceiling. I don't consider that a ceiling. I just consider that an athlete, an athletic ceiling like Evan Ingram had. But a guy like Marshall, who's, has, who's shown a lot of the traits that I believe best translate to becoming a really plus receiver at the NFL level, I see a super high ceiling for. So that's kind of where I stand. It looks like we're in lockstep there. We'll wrap it up by there. Um, to everybody listening in, please help support the show. The best ways you can support the show are the following. One, head over to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review there, subscribe to the podcast so you get all of them in your feed immediately when they drop, and then make sure you hit that download button. If you just click on the podcast to listen to it, it ain't going to help us. And if you do want to help us, we like you. And so get on our good side, hit that download button, and leave us those reviews and ratings. Also, follow us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's NYBigBlueBanter. We're becoming incredibly active on Instagram. We're dropping things about free agency. We're dropping graphics as news drops. We're dropping uh, links to our new podcast. We're dropping previews of the live shows that we do coming up. And speaking of the live show, if you want to join the Big Blue Banter podcast for literally a live show that basically operates as in a radio show that we run every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, you can join the Big Blue Banter show and you could jump in and you could ask questions. You could chop it up giants with us. And all you have to do is this download the locker room app and you'll see it in our feed. We give some directions on that. Click 
join the Giants room. It'll be labeled something like Giants Free Agency Live Q&A, Giants Draft, whatever it may be. And then just click that microphone button, hit Ask to Speak, Request to Speak, and we'll get you on the show. And we look forward to hearing from more of you. We've had a few of you on already, and it's been a lot of fun. To me, the locker room thing we've done has been by far and away the most fun I've had with this podcast since Filato joined on. And really dating back, it's probably the most fun thing I think I've experienced so far. So keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Bathroom Podcast, and we will talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.